Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kasesinov. This week, I am very, very delighted and honored to have with me as my guest, Dr. Christine Page. Known as a mystical physician, Dr. Christine Page has been a pioneer in the field of healthcare for over 40 years, working in particular with women. Raised amongst healers and esoteric teachings, she is an international speaker and gifted intuitive. She sees herself as a bridge builder, whether between different modalities of well-being or states of consciousness. She is the author of eight books, including Frontiers of Health and her latest, The Handbook of Women's Mysteries. She's also an international speaker and travels all over the world, giving inspiring talks. So if you ever get the chance to catch one, do it. Christine, welcome. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be with you, Tatiana. It's a, the pleasure is absolutely all mine. So a mystical physician, that's something that we have to discuss. So first of all, having grown up in uh, a background where perhaps um, these things all weird, wonderful and mystical were not so unusual, unlike most people who start off in the traditional world and end up gravitating there, you sort of did it the other way around. So why study medicine? <laughs> really good question. <laughs> and it's something that people always say to me is, why did you go into esoteric matters? Why did you become a homeopath? Why did you do all of this? And I always have to start, and you've already got ahead of me, by saying, no, actually, this is how I started. And I really, uh, first of all, I came into this world uh, with a knowingness. Uh, people talk about having a moment where they all suddenly became aware that there was a a spirit world or a guidance world. I never knew what it was like not to have that. Now, that wasn't something I went, whoopee, I've already got the guidance. <laughs> it really felt like a very confusing world. And really, most importantly, I couldn't always see what was my energy and what was someone else's. In fact, that took many years to work out. And of course, I imagined everybody was seeing what I was seeing. So as I like to describe it, someone would come towards me, but coming towards me would be what I would call their sub-personalities or their past life self, whatever we want to call it, uh, maybe spirits <laughs> for who had passed over. And I just thought everybody did this and saw this and felt this. But I have to say, I wasn't thinking, hmm, this is very interesting. It was much more like, wow, this is confusing. And so my first intention, first way of dealing with it is to be extraordinarily shy. And I meet a lot of people who tell me they did the same thing. I mean, if I could hide in a closet, I would. If I would, could not speak to anybody, I would. And my mother, who was quite gregarious, would say, what's wrong with you? You know, why don't you say hello to that person? And my response, now I understand, was which person am I saying hello to? because it wasn't the smiley face on the front, it was all these other characters that seemed to also be there. And some of them I didn't really like. You know, when someone would tell me this is a nice person and I would feel, no, I don't think they are. So there was a lot of psychic impressions, really, which is what I'm talking about. Did I see coloured auras? No, I didn't, I, I've got to say. I just saw everybody. <laughs> so I didn't need to see whether or not someone had this color or that color, or I could feel what was going on inside them. And Can I, can I just interrupt you there? Yes. When, you, when you say seeing, do you talk about seeing with your eyes, like a visual seeing, or is it more of a kind of an emotional feeling seeing? It was, a, it was initially, and, and that's a really good question, because initially it was a, a feeling. But it was a seeing. And so I can remember one specific was actually an aunt of mine who was giving me this sort of, hello, how are you? But behind her was this other character who was saying, please help me, please help me. And that was definitely a seeing. <laughs> definitely a seeing. Um, there was a, a gentleman who my mother said, well, should, you know, I should be nice to. I definitely saw this red energy, what, which wasn't very nice. So yes, it was a, you could say a physical seeing. Um, but when people describe auras in, in terms of layers of color, it, that wasn't what I was seeing. But there was usually a feeling with it as well. And a lot of that feeling, Dariana, was also my own feeling of which became even more intense as I grew up, um, which was helplessness. You know, you're a little girl and it's like, 
what do I do when someone's saying, help me, help me? So my next trick was to faint. So when anybody was suffering or I felt they were suffering, they may not even been talking about suffering, but I felt it. I would faint. And I would be a teenager with my eyes covered, my ears covered. I didn't want to hear anything, see anything. So people would be describing something to me, and I'd like, okay, don't, don't listen, don't see. I hated going to movies that had any violence because I would be feeling it. And so the crazy thing was to become a doctor, as I like to say. But I had been brought up, you know, my mother's friends were all healers and homeopaths very much and and very much to do with understanding the bigger picture so that you know we would have people into our house who were talking about crystal therapy or ets or or healing and i want your listeners to know it wasn't that it was like this is the way my mother and father were very curious and their message was listen to people and take what you feel is correct and let go of the rest and so we were introduced to various subjects and really were taught how to listen for what meant something to us and what resonated and not to get into, I have to say, a judgmental situation. And so my mother was and father always said, there's nobody better, nobody worse than you. So treat everybody with respect, treat everybody with, I have to say, a certain curiosity, <laughs> you know, hello, who are you? Mm-hmm. Rather than prejudging, well, I know where they come from, I know what they are, this is what I'm expecting. And that's, I hope, the approach I still take, which is, hello, you're new, what, <laughs> who, who are you? Rather than looking at the color of a skin or gender or, or where they've come from, because we don't know. And that's what I think I took out of this was, even though someone presents, as we would say as a doctor, they present with this certain image and unfortunately often we say well look you're a gallbladder person or a cancer there's this whole story behind them and you know i could say the more i know the less i know mm-hmm. but you know the, the the injustice i think we do to people uh, not just as a doctor but also in life we immediately jump in and assume we know what this person's talking about when we really don't have a clue so that brought me all the way round <laughs> to, I, I hope, answering your question. But I'm, I'm Absolutely, absolutely. But, but you kind of, after studying medicine, though, actually I have two questions, so let me just pack them apart because one's continuing the story, but one's also going back to, to asking. I mean, if in this day and age where, where we diagnose absolutely everything, if you've got an ingrowing toenail, it's a pathology. Right. Um, how, how come nobody sent you to a child psychologist? <laughs> or a drug? I mean, you know, cause that would be the natural, natural kind of conclusion. And I actually often think perhaps that that's a way a lot of intuitive people end up being funneled because mm. they don't know how to understand what it is that they're seeing. And the natural assumption of the world out there is there is something wrong with you. Well, you're absolutely right. Nobody did ever think I was. I think my fortunate was was choosing a parent, a mother, who really was into all of this. And uh, here's another story that when I was very small, and I would say still in my cot or my crib, I remember going out the top of my head following a light and it was to a very nice feeling. It was just, it felt like going to a family. And when I was old enough to tell my mother, so I must have been, this must have been pre-verbal. I told her and she said, well, it sounds as if it's a nice experience, so keep doing it. And that was my mother. She, she, would insist even now, you went further than I could. She was a a psychic in her own right, but she was really a powerhouse. And she would take me to various psychics or psychic fairs, but she would always be the big bear who would say, no, I don't trust that person. She had a very knowingness about that. But she she recognized I had more insights, one could say, than she did. And my father, who was a real sweetie, said, well, if your mother believes it's right, it probably is, so we're doing it. So I had that. We also had a very simple Christian faith. I mean, Church of England is very simple. And we only ever knew, you know, happy stories. So there was nothing negative, I will say, in that way uh, being given. But I also, my 
probably my, the, the great grace I had was I was very intelligent and I was very sporty. So these three worlds lived together and I could hide myself in my sports. So I was good at sports. I was good at, at school. And therefore this other world didn't clash with it. Right. And as I say, I would hide there. So when there would be extreme um, personal conflicts within a school system, I'd like, okay, we're going off to play uh, sport. You know? <laughs> so to keep away from things that really did challenge me. Right. So I, I know I wasn't crazy. Um, however, I knew because nobody really spoke to me about what, I have to say, Tatiana, nobody really said, oh, I know exactly what you're feeling. Probably because I wasn't really sharing it. Right. And this is something that uh, I don't, I must have intuitively known. I've never looked for outside help on this. I've never had a teacher or a follower, you know, been a follower. I've never really joined a group. So, that might sound strange to some people, but actually my faith and my knowledge in my inner teachers, my inner worth, which was always loving. There's never, ever been anything but love. I never looked outside for anybody else's opinion. Wonderful. Oh, very, very enviable for the position, I, I suspect. So back to medicine. So you trained in medicine and um, presumably at some point and quite quickly, the system that, that you had to operate in was frustrating. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, you know, and people ask me, why did you become a doctor? It was one of those sole decisions. Although when I was 11, and those in the UK will understand this, I thought, oh, girl guides was kind of boring. I'd become a St. John's ambulance person. And so this was crazy because this is the person who was going to faint if anybody did anything to themselves. So for seven years, I was a St. John's Ambulance uh, volunteer at many wonderful events, praying nobody would ever get really sick. <laughs> Not because if I couldn't cope, but I couldn't have coped if they'd really suffered. <laughs> so, I mean, that was almost my life was set up. And, you know, we often look at what toys we have. I had a little doctor's bag at the age of five and I had all my dolls lined up. You know, they were either going to have splints put on their legs or they were, te I was teaching. So you know, this was my, fa my world, which came true. And going into medicine was really one of those soul decisions. And I'm sure we've all had those mm -hmm. where, you know, you could say one part of me went, you are absolutely crazy. But 99% said, no, this is the way in which you need to live your life. And being a doctor, and there are so many wonderful things. I love, I love being a doctor. I loved working with children and women in obstetrics. I loved doing surgery. I loved doing it all because you had that hands-on, face-to-face. When it, all the masks are gone, didn't care what you were, whether you earned lots of money or no money at all. It, you, if you were a mother with a child, you, you had that love of a mother or a child. And if you were having a heart attack, really didn't matter. You were having a heart attack. And, and I loved all of that. I loved that closeness of medicine, which I think has also disappeared over the years for other people. You know, I, I, we were taught to make a um, diagnosis, 80% listening to people, 15% touching people and 5% tests. Now it's the other way around. Right. Especially here in the States, you know, most of the radiologists I meet say, I'm the first person that anybody's, you know, they've ever talked to, which is a terrible state of affairs where we've become such, de so defensive in medicine that only if we give you an MRI can we feel totally happy that there's nothing going on that we're going to get blamed for. Right. Right. Medicine. Defensive medicine. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I didn't have that sort of medicine. We, I went into general practice having qualified because I, and people say, oh, you went into general practice. That was kind of a lower, but no, to me, that was community medicine, the how it should be. And I knew, you know, I, with my other two partners, you know, we'd have our eight or 9,000, or four, three partners, we had our 9,000 patients. We knew everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, we knew the mother who was suffering, you know, because she, her baby wouldn't stop crying. 
And I would put her in touch with another mother who was old, had older children who had felt the same way. If I don't do something, you know, I'm going to be crazy. That's what I believe medicine should be about is community. And we set up so many groups. Um, we learned where, you know, obviously we had a cancer support growers, an MS group, but we also learned that doctors in a hospital don't necessarily know what's going on in general practice. Mm-hmm. Poor communication there. To me, it's all about communication listening to your body, listening to each other. And I also, we, you know, we started bringing complementary medicine in. So every month we'd bring a different form of complementary medicine to teachings. We had reflexology, we had Tai Chi, we had relaxation, we had uh, psychotherapy, all in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. And we had people who I'd said, okay, here's your little homeopathic set, here's your little aromatherapy set, Patients, I'd almost made myself redundant in the first 48 hours of an illness, <laughs> except for, of course, if there was something serious. But to Tatiana, that was my joy. It was like, that's how medicine should be. So, Well, you're speaking to the converted over here yes. because I totally agree with that. Yeah. And, I mean, I think, um, I think this feeling of community is something which is sorely lacking in a... Yes particularly in something like the NHS, which is, which is just so strapped for cash. Right. Um, and the cash that's available is all, all funneled into stuff. Yes. And, and not into time and people, which is a terrible shame. Um, yeah, it's actually very interesting in the, on the BBC just a couple of weeks ago here in the UK, um, uh, did a, did a very interesting program on the placebo effect. Right. And, um, proving the, how effective the placebo effect can be, which we will know. But what was very interesting was that he had one group that was, um, they were all taking placebo, but he also split the groups into one who had an extensive consultation and the others who got the normal seven minutes. Yes. And the results were dramatically different as yes. one would expect. So, I mean, I think the result is clear on that one, isn't it? You've got to spend time talking to your patients. You do. And, you know, the six-minute, seven-minute patient hasn't changed since I left general practice. And I left because my patients said, we would rather pay you to have an hour than to have a free three, you know, six-minute sessions where we don't even have time to take our coat off before you, we've, we've been sent out. So truly it was my patients who said, we want to pay you for this. And right. of course, that's the truth. That's why private medicine is so big in the NHS. But still, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got someone to talk to. Right. You know, and that's why people, when I, back in the mid-80s, we did a survey of how many people were already going to complementary practitioners. And it was something about 40% of our patients And we said, why are you going? And it was to be heard. Mm -hmm. It was to be nurtured. So whether it's a healer or a therapist or a cranial sacral or whatever was, you know, you were going to an osteopath, they felt this money they were spending on these therapists. And I, of course, I'm very much involved with all of them. was well worth it. Mm -hmm. But we shouldn't be having to pay (laughs) to have that attention. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, the flip side of that is a lot of these practitioners are not in a position to charge their true worth no. because, you know, um, they don't want to exploit people. And of course, when you come from a, a system like in the UK where there is the NHS and everyone has this perception it's for free, yes. you know, patients are, are these days more reluctant to then kind of, you know, dig into their own pockets, which is completely understandable. Well, it isn't, it isn't. That's why I said it was my patients who made this decision. Right. I think that we do a disservice. I worked with a lot of wonderful healers who would say, oh, we don't charge, but that doesn't value us. No, exactly. So, you know, I can, I absolutely know, you only have to go to a coffee shop. You only have to go, a friend taught me years ago, just follow people around the supermarket and you'll see what you gave them for free. They are spending on their coffee or their food. And they're telling you that I can't afford it. And I think this is always a dilemma, you know, of clearly. I mean, it's a dilemma here and we pay for everything in the, in the States. But it, it really is valuing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. it's what we feel they're getting out of the session for us. Right. But, you know, um, we shouldn't be giving people a, a, a disservice 
by saying, okay, we've only got this six minutes or seven minutes because the focus on that, I mean, I could, you and I could make a decision or a diagnosis in that six or seven minutes, but not if I'm coming from a place of defensive medicine. Mm -hmm. I think that's the key to this is what type of medicine are we actually giving our clients now, our patients? Right. That's what needs to change. (laughs) Couldn't agree with you more. So what drove you stateside? Well, I did. I eventually left, as, as you're saying, general practice. Not. It wasn't just about the medicine, because the medicine then was pretty good in the in mid-80s, late-80s. And I, but I became went into homeopathy, partly really because I was looking at my clients and I was saying, well, my patients, you know, 80% of these people, I'm saying, keep taking the tablets. And I didn't go into medicine to tell people to keep taking the tablets. <laughs> You know, that isn't cure. Quite. Because it's this terrible word, cure, you're not allowed to say you cure anybody. But cure to me is not people not being on a treatment or not needing recurrent treatments. Even, you know, come and see me every week and, you know, that would be, that's still not curing. So I loved homeopathy for the fact that you could actually say, okay, I'm going to give you, you know, one day's remedies, three powders, and that could get them off their treatment for good. And I think people don't always understand homeopathy. They think, well, I keep taking it. It will, it will work, but it doesn't. As soon as there is no energy um, out of balance, then homeopathy doesn't work. Now, I'm just talking about homeopathy because that's what I am, but I see the same in, in many complementary medicines. But I feel it's not, it's not just about a therapy. It's about seeing the holistic side of everybody. And when I meet people who say, oh, well, doctors aren't holistic, I go, well, they are. You know, we've just lost some of that, that energy about looking at the whole person because we're so often busy. But I feel the same can happen with a complementary medicine. I want to say that because I've been involved in holistic medicine from the late, eight, uh, late 70s. And I watched as holistic practitioners became more reductionist. Mm-hmm. And they said, mine is the only way, and these are where I'm going to put my needles, or this is the remedy I'm going to give. But it became less holistic, mind, body, spirit. So, you know, you're asking me what brought me stateside, but I'm I'm also explaining that holistic medicine still hasn't really taken off in the way it could. And nowadays I put mind, body, spirit, and soul in the middle. You know, soul-centered care or patient-centered care so that it's not about, oh, well, you need to have meditation or you need to change your diet or you need to do this. All of that is wonderful, but what are you listening to what the soul needs and the message of the soul? Because my ultimate message is illness is a messenger from the soul. And that's what I've written about and talked about for years, that we need to move in the direction of healing, not against it if we're trying to fix the person, sending them back to where they were, We need to say, why does this person need this illness? Not as a guilt trip, but what? why is the soul sending this illness to this person? And that I will always believe. So coming to the States, by then I had stopped practicing because I realized we had professional patients. So they go and see this person today, this person tomorrow, this person next day, and nobody was telling or asking them to take responsibility for their own health. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> so it's it what how very, you know, fix me, fix um, me. Yeah. 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 So mind body medicine was much bigger here in the States, is much bigger. Um, looking at yourself is much bigger here than it is in Britain. It's like, you know, you know, like in Britain, it's like, I don't need help, you know, it's all. You know. That's right. Somebody bumps into, you know, and you apologize. You you apologize. And, you know, if you need a therapist, you must have something really crazy with you. Right. Um, Right. Whereas here, everybody's got therapists, um, maybe sometimes too often, but, you know, it's a balance. So here in the States, I felt I could move the holistic idea. And there is far less complementary medicine here. There's no doubt about it. We have a very rich wonderful system of complementary medicine in Britain because of the common law that allows you to do anything. But here in the States, it's far, far less understood. Uh, I really, and I think anybody here would hopefully understand what I'm saying. But what I did recognize is that in my teachings in Britain, 
I have, and this is be honest, when I would teach something, it would be like, well, if it's okay, I might put it into my practice. We're here, you know, whether you know anything about the States, there's this, yay, let's go for it. You know, and you know, Tatiana, you've been right, right. You know, rightly or wrongly, when a fad comes in, it's like, yay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and therefore, I, I, got, I could see that I was reaching more doctors, more nurses, more therapists here with what I was wanting to share than I was able to do when I was back in the States, uh, in Britain. So I love Britain. I love, you know, so much about it in terms of its caring. But I do, I did by then feel that if I was going to share holistic medicine, mind-body medicine, I teach more than do therapy um, work, I would be better here in the States. Right, absolutely. So what are the basic tenets of, of your teaching? Maybe you could just talk about that a little bit. I mean, as, as, a, as a five, ten hour interview all by itself, maybe just, just skim over the surface and we'll maybe drill down on one or two points. So I've, I feel that my first tenant, which I've really talked about, is, is holistic medicine, but it's also soul-centered medicine. And that then requires us to understand that there may be a part of us that doesn't know what we're doing. And that's the bit that's like, do we? (laughs) (laughs) So commonly in illness and events in our life, we feel that life's happening to us. So the tenant of my teaching is, do you think there may be a part of you that does love you? Do you think that you may not be, you know, a poorly soul who was sent to this planet and you can't wait to get off, which is so common the case, you know, this isn't the place I want to be, there's somewhere else. What if you are a highly evolved soul who made this choice to be here? And and that would be very important to me to say, take back your power. Take back your power, not to say, oh, everybody out there is bad, but more like (coughs) the power of love. Take back the power of love and understand that actually if everything happens to you because of love, even though it's painful, it's a great place to start. Yeah, completely agree with that. <coughs> and we have, you know, the, there were so many things, I'm not going to say bad things, but so many distressing things happening. If I use bad, then there's a bad good. But there were a lot of distressing things happen. I'm sure a lot of distressing things have happened to you. They have to me. But by starting with the premise that things are happening to me, it, I'm never going to be able to make choices right. to change anything. And so... I've learned listening to people. I can still remember sitting on people's beds three o'clock in the morning and they might have just been given the diagnosis that they had terminal cancer. And, you know, sometimes in medicine we think, well, that person must want me to cure them. But when you listen to them, they're not asking for that. People know that they're dying. People know that maybe there's nothing to be done, truly. And they are saying to me, well, I just hope that I can have a day when I can go and visit my grandchildren. Or I just hope I can do this, you know, before I die. We, we don't listen. Again, it's back to that. And so when I ask people, the first question I always ask people is, what was going on when you got sick? And over and over again, people tell me, I know why I have cancer. Oh, I, I know why I had my heart disease. I know why I fell down the stairs. And I think, well, if you know, why are we not using your knowledge? Why are we so arrogant to say, oh, you don't know anything. You know, this was just going to, this, there's nothing to do with you. Illness has nothing to do with you, which is really not a service to us. And you talked about the placebo effect. You know, we know people used to say 99% of people are going to die from this. Well, I want to meet that 1% that isn't exactly. dying. <laughs> exactly. That's say, always, well, been, that's always been my argument too. Yes. Yeah. So this is just, I, I'll stop there. But just to say, you know, that's still, I wrote about this in 1989, 1990. And I still am passionate, as you can hear, about wouldn't it be great if we started our conversations with patients with, what was going on when you got sick? Why would your soul, who loves you so much, choose to give you this gift? And that might sound so strange to people sitting there with cancer, but I've had breast cancer, and I said to myself, first of all, wow, um, you know, my soul must really love me because only this would have stopped me in my tracks. Right. 
I don't say that to people right away. Wow, isn't this a fabulous gift? But we are throwing people out onto the back to their lives far too quickly before they've had a chance to say, why did I have a heart attack? Why is this happening? You know, what's going on in my life? But they're not even asking those questions because, I mean, they've been, everybody is being taught with, with, the, with the reductionist materialist version of science and medicine that it's just a matter of genes and it's yes. a matter of, um, you know, a toxin or you're allergic to something. And, yes. and even the causes of disease are all coming from outside yes. um, or even worse within and you're doomed to this fate that you yes. were born with. And I think, you know, my, I've, I've heard a lot of, of physicians argue that this approach that you have dumps responsibility and blame back on a patient. And I think that's because they don't really understand what it is exactly that you're trying to say. But I actually think it's the other way around that it gives them hope because it means that, you know, the body does have an innate ability to heal and if it's appropriate you can put that in action um how how do you deal with that kind of subject because it's a really delicate thing to to tell a patient who's sick to try and get them to look where it's coming from without them feeling helpless hopeless and to blame well i i think i mean obviously i've heard that one about giving false hope and blame you know i i think that Telling someone it's outside you, it's nothing to do with you, actually makes you feel weak because it's saying is you don't have the power to do anything about this. You're just a pathetic person and I'm going to deal with this. And I think that's unethical. And I, again, I suggest that these people don't even listen to their patients because I've never had anybody when I've said what was going on when you got sick say, are you causing me to feel bad about myself? They've said, thank goodness someone is listening to me. Right. I've, I've, I, I, I do not. I mean, I've heard all this. I have never, ever had anybody tell me, you're blaming me for my illness. I've Good. only ever had people say, and I've, I have to say, I've probably worked with more thousands and thousands of patients than any doctor. I'm 40 years now a doctor. I travel the world. I talk about this. And I think this is a myth to say that patients then are going to get upset because they're being blamed. We know, you and I know, that the the quickest way of making the immune system weak is making people helpless. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've shown that in 20 minutes you can make a group of intelligent people feel helpless, Um, whatever, you know. And it's like, how dare we? How dare we not say, you know, tell me about yourself. Tell me what's going on in your life. Right. And we want to feel, I'm saying is, I did when I asked a surgeon to help with my, uh, to, to, you know, to deal with my uh, breast cancer. I didn't feel helpless. I felt that I had a choice there. I trusted her. I didn't have those skills. I didn't need those skills because there's someone else to do it. Right. Asking someone for help or someone to assist you doesn't make me feel weaker. But her listening to me made me feel stronger. And what I said was, okay, I'm going to have the surgery, but I want to have uh, 10 days so I can go off and swim with the whales and the dolphins in Hawaii. (laughs) That's fine with me. So we were in a decision. And, you know, I had a constant decision-making experience with her, not telling her how she's going to do her surgery, but her trusting me and me trusting her. The perfect doctor-patient relationship. Perfect. Was I respected her. I, I don't believe in going in with lists and lists of things of what I want. I say, you know, you're the expert here. You tell me. Right. right. But I feel that we are, are not doing a good service when we, we literally disempower people by telling them, we don't know why these things happen. Right. You know, but we have the drugs that will assist, assist you, which is really not right. So um, if we kind of move on a little bit from there, looking at the kind of people that come to you, do you see a kind of pattern of, of disease complaints? I mean, we talk these days, everybody talks about chronic disease, you know, that, that um, it, it's skyrocketing or uh, depression, anxiety is going up and through the roof. There are trends that clearly that you must see. I mean, and obviously the kind of people that search you out have interests in different directions anyway, but um what are what are the main problems? What are the main things that people are coming to you with, and, and what special 
thing can you can you offer them that they're not getting elsewhere so i do what i call soul readings and Mm -hmm. these readings i do uh, over the telephone over skype or if i'm in a certain area i in a certain country i will do them individually and i only because i did many i did 20 years of ongoing treatments whether it was my homeopathy or my my orthodox medicine i decided i'd just do one treat one session and so I tend to, people tend to come for me. I don't give treatments anymore. They come for advice. And many a time they'll come, maybe a quarter of them will have an illness that they want to understand at a deeper level. And they will actually be frustrated that they're not being given any more information. And they will talk about, I think this is something I could feel coming on, or I had this emotion before. So they want to talk about this. Or they want to get my take on it. You know, what, what do I understand? But I also get people who are very well and they just are on a different, you know, they're saying, I've come to a crossroads in my part of my journey. Tell, you know, I want help to know what the next steps are. Uh, I may use astrology in that uh, because I'm a great believer in astrology as well. And I just want to help people move. Have, we all need someone else to witness where we are. Mm-hmm. And, and you know to say many a time they'll say well you know I'm, I'm on this path is that the right path and because of my intuitive I can be intuitive on the phone over Skype I really don't need to see someone I can usually say well I can see that path probably isn't going to be the best one for you I can see it closing or as I like to do is even give them the chance to do the meditation for themselves so I've got various meditations I might do on an inner session to say, okay, let's see what, how you feel. Because I really want to encourage people to listen to their own intuition, listen to where they're going. So, you know, that's, they do have the knowledge inside. They say, oh, yeah, you're right. That's what I feel. And because now, I mean, there are two other areas of my life that I do want to share. One is about my earth mysteries, which I'll come to. But on following the question that you just asked, also, I work with women much more now. So I've been doing a lot of work with women's health, women's mysteries, women taking back their body, their body's rhythms, taking back an understanding of what it is to be a woman. The empowerment, not from just developing healthier muscles in your arms, but really understanding the power that already exists. So I do a lot of work with women who may be going through menopause and wondering what's happening or they may be in their 40s. So I have a whole range of women who are at different stages in their life who want to understand what's special about that stage in their life and what should they be paying attention to. So I love that, you know, from, from my 12-year-olds through to my 90-year-olds. We, we, women are women. So it's right. really honoring, okay, this is what's going to perhaps come up for you at this stage in your life. So I love doing all that work. And this is where I do most of my teaching. It's why I also have my online course, Women's Mysteries, because I really want women to understand the deeper rituals that are available to them every month, every season, um, to, to clear their energy, to be able to be much more powerful because women truly were the, the, the center of our home, so when a woman is unhealthy, the family is unhealthy. So allow, helping a woman to, to come back to alignment with herself, you know, in the middle of her very busy life, which many women are in, is so important to me. Oh, I, totally, I so agree with that because, I mean, you know, this podcast is, is obviously um, addresses men and women, but I, I kind of like to also focus a little on women because for exactly the reason that you said, you know, that they're often the person in the family who's not only responsible for everybody else's health care, but because of that, often completely neglect their own. Yeah, exactly. um, and um, and so I think it's a, it's a joy when I hear that. So tell us a little bit more about the Earth Mysteries because that is a fascinating subject. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's my other interest, big interest from really again childhood was that as soon as I started, of course, being brought up in Britain, it was brilliant because you had Stonehenge and Avebury, and again I thought every country had all these these wonderful stone memories, these sacred sites. Um, but really found that I loved going and finding them around, the, first of all, around the country, then around the world. We traveled a lot in Europe when I was young, and now I get the chance to go all over the world. 
But understanding that this is our Earth Mother, there's, there's no doubt about that. And that I believe that within the Earth, um, people talk about it being a serpent grid or a dragon grid or Chulic lines or spirit lines. But it is the, the belief that Tesla had was that all the power we needed is all running, already running underneath our feet. And what I understood, this is a, you know, a little deeper than ley lines. People often know what a ley line is, but that's, that's kind of the more superficial one. This energy is just rushing across and it often follows rivers. It often follows or loves being around mountains and lakes and wells. So anything that's round tends to, to attract this energy. And the ancient people understood this even, you know, more modern because if you plant a tree, the energy will circle around a tree and therefore you'll get more abundance around you. And recently traveling in Ireland, we would come across these wonderful fairy forts or fairy areas where the trees were and no farmer would ever cut them down because if you did, you lost the abundance. It wasn't just that you might upset the fairies underneath, but they understood that the natural flow of the land and the natural trees and the, the wells was so important to the fertility of the earth. And I have that interest that when I can help people root into the earth, they can also feel that abundance and that creativity and that good health. And just to say, I, I visit a lot of different countries, and what I found is if you have a poor relationship with your mother, you may well have a poor relationship with Mother Earth. Interesting. You yeah. see the two very similar. There are also people who didn't want to be here on this planet in the first place, but that's another group. <laughs> but uh, caring for this Earth, you know, when people tell me, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm here to save the Earth, the Earth doesn't need us to save her. And she really, as my dear husband always says, we are like the fleas on the back of a dog. Yeah, you know, one shape we could be off. Yeah, Earth is at some point going to turn around and say, well, you know, we, we, I was listening to a talk by Bruce Lipton at the weekend. He came out with a brilliant expression, which is, you know, Earth will one day recognize it's got a bad case of the humans. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and it's exactly that. Why, why do you think so many people these days are so disconnected? Um, there was a, there's a historic reason, and that really comes to my female energy, feminine energy or female energy, uh, which includes men. But three, three and a half thousand years really was a changing point around the world. Before that, we were very connected to the earth. We saw God in the earth, the divine, the creator in the earth, in everything in the earth. And then this shift happened, and we could see for various reasons. Of course, we, many times blame the patriarchy as a kind of a overlaying idea, but there was definitely a shift away from the earth. Um, there was during the Sumerian times, a, a shift into putting God in the sky and that you have to climb up this hill or this hierarchical system to reach God. And only if you're a special person, could you do that? And that hadn't existed beforehand. So this idea of hierarchy, some God in the sky, not in the earth, really shifted us all. And at the same time, there was a lot of mythology about killing the dragon, killing the serpents across the world, that the, the dragon was bad. He was trying to drag us into the underworld. And here we are on November the 1st. You know, this was the very reason what Halloween was about, which was as we move into winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, we want to go into the earth. But over time, it's become, don't go into the earth. It's a bad place. Whereas truly, in every tradition, it is only through going into your inner world or allowing yourself to, to go into the world, into the inner world, where you get your power. And so there was a huge shift of saying, don't let people connect to, to the underworld, this fiery energy, which is going to be creative. And therefore, you had things like hell and the fires of damnation when it should have been H-E-L and the fire of regeneration. And so we got, and now we're in a state where knowledge is everything, information is everything. If it's not Googled, then it doesn't exist. <laughs> and, you know, you, one only has to walk through a street or go to any event, and people are so lost on their phones and their 
you know, actually not actually on the earth, not rooting themselves. And I know you had a wonderful speaker on who talked about earthing and right. fabulous practice. And it's really about not, you know, I would totally agree, get out into nature. I mean, how many times people just never do that in a day, but also sending roots into the earth and believing that the earth actually loves you. It's a very simple, but, but honest truth. Yeah. I think, I think, Perhaps, you know, um, Descartes has a lot to answer for separating mind and body all those, all those years ago. Um, but I, I feel that, I feel that people are very disconnected. And I think, um, Rupert Sheldrake makes a good point of the fact that there are now, <coughs> forgive me, so many people who call themselves atheists, <coughs> but are still aware that there's something missing and they're looking for something. They're looking for something deeper and more spiritual. And so they've now become these kind of like spiritual agnostics. Right. And, you know, there's a resurgence of, of spiritual practices, but maybe dissociated from, from a believing in any type of religion. Um, how, how do you see that as a, as, as a path forward? I, I think perfect. You know, I, of course, religion, its real meaning is to lead yourself you know, lead people home. And I think the uh, origins of every religion are wonderful, but they got split so quickly. And whenever, however, I'm also seeing new spiritual movements come in that have a tendency to create hierarchical systems. So whenever I hear you have to pay this amount of money to get this high, or, you know, you, they were, it's like, what are you doing? You're just doing it in the old Piscean way. You're doing it in the old way. That there is no difference between you and me. And I have to say there's no difference between angels and, and ETs and guides, whatever you want to call them. I think that the world that Rupert Sheldrake and, and others are, you know, are living in, Bruce Lipton, I'm thinking Mishu Kaku, it's really an interdimensional world. Mm-hmm. And I'm very interested in the interdimensional worlds or the multidimensional worlds because that's so interesting from the quantum physics point of view that we really don't understand what that would feel like, and yet we're probably living it all now anyway. So the up and down is just another polarization. I feel that the now in, includes this multidimensional understanding where we both honor the up and the down, but we don't make them polar opposites. Right. I'm absolutely shocked to see how quickly our time is slipping away because I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. But if you had advice to give to somebody who is listening, who is obviously interested enough in this work in order to be listening, but is, uh, needs a bit of guidance, what, what would you say? Where's a good place for people to look and to start? So I, I'm going to probably give three different little pieces. Of course, I'm going to say, listen to your heart. <laughs> You know, I have taught intuition courses for years. And I'm going to say everybody is intuitive. But I few, agree. But few people follow through. And but that, we're taught not to, aren't we? We're taught to, to allow logic to dominate everything. But yeah, um, we second guess, we, you know, hear mm-hmm. second guess. But I, you know, the story I tell of a woman who came up to me and said, you know, Jesus came to me in my dream four years ago and gave me a pen and told me to write. What shall I do? and i hear that so often tatiana i mean i can be in a workshop i can lead someone i'm not the person telling them they get these amazing insights in their meditation and then they go oh probably not probably not not today i don't want so the other workshop I, i teach a lot is the courage to change because the fear of change is so big and there's Tony Robbins and others say is if the fear of change is greater than the fear of staying where you are, you will not change. Right. And, and you have to make change more pleasurable. But sometimes the only way of changing is to make things really bad. We're so stubborn. Yep. Yep. The big wake up call. Yeah. It is. And I think that that's where we're at as I'm, I'm giving you a much bigger answer than you wanted, but the crisis we're in at the moment is we keep doing the same thing thinking we're going to get a different result. 
That's what, um, isn't that what uh, 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 Albert Einstein said, wasn't it? Definition of... The definition uh, of stupidity. Exactly. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Absolutely. makes so much sense. So when someone says, I know, we're going to go to war. Well, there's a new idea. We haven't done that yet. I know we're going to hate those people. Oh, that's a new idea. We haven't done that yet. Can we stop doing things which we know don't work? <laughs> Yeah, you would think it would be that simple, wouldn't you? <laughs> I see people, you know, let's forget the world. You know, people who just keep marrying the same person, type of person. People who keep putting themselves down. People who just, I can tell you that we think the world, that's the way it is, but it really is in, only in our little mindset. So do something extraordinary today. Something that puts you out of your comfort zone. Be confused by life. But follow it because your heart and you are loved. Absolutely. Absolutely. In what ways do your teachings differ from what is now become very popular in the sort of personal development movement with, you know, a lot about the law of attraction and so on and so forth? I mean, your knowledge and your teachings are, are rooted in a, in a much older ancient history almost. Um, how do you, how do you feel about the new, the new movement? <laughs> Well, first of all, uh, you know, again, what Einstein cleverly said was you can't change the problem at the level that it was created. Absolutely. And most of what we create is through our mind now. All right? We're very mind orientated. And therefore, anything I've got to say where you say, I'm going to set this intention, this affirmation, this, I'm going to create something different, you can't. You can never change the issue from the place that it was created, which is your mind. So the only two places you can change it is either in your physical body or truly in spirit. But most of what we call spiritual is just actually another lot of belief systems within the mind. So that's why sometimes it takes a crisis to shake us out of our belief systems. And we go, oh, my God, I didn't expect that. Yes, good. Mm -hmm. Now we're free. But now we've got traumatologists coming in and saying, let me tap you out of that problem. Let me make it okay because you're obviously traumatized by this new event coming in. And we're dulling people down to saying that they shouldn't be shocked by an experience when truly sometimes we need something shocking to get us to change. Now, that's my really recent thought. So one way I tell, I suggest for people to do it of course, this was Bruce Lipton. Everybody's saying, act as if you've already done it. All right. So live as if you already have made the change. But you can't make the change using your mind to make that change. Right. I want to have a partner. I want to have a good job. What you have to do is say, how do I want to feel with the new partner? How do I want to feel with new health? And we can't use, I, oh, I want to feel better so I don't have cancer. All you're going to do is make you have more cancer. Mm -hmm. We have to feel like we are like that child who doesn't have any attachments to anything. So we just say, how do you feel when you see a sunset? How do you feel when you have a sunrise, a rainbow? And if you can bring that energy into your life and say, I want that magic, that time when I'm not thinking or on my phone, live as if every day has got that piece of magic in it. We start to shift what's going on in our life. And my final thing, and I probably got to say this as a final, remember you are a highly evolved creative being that's created this world in order to know yourself fully. That's what every indigenous people, ancient people know thyself. We cannot know ourselves by just reading books doing, we have to know ourselves through other people. So we create a world in order to know ourselves in that world of people we admire. So we go, yay, yay. I love that person. And if you say to yourself, wow, I am that other person. All those qualities in that person are me. But at the same time, if I then say, Ooh, I hate that person, they irritate me, they are also me. So I have attracted into my life people who are helping me to know myself. And that's all we came here to do, which was to become a fully involved, multi-petaled being. And what we mustn't do is get A, stuck in one petal, just keep repeating a cycle because we're good at it. 
you know, whether it's being a victim or being a rescuer or whatever you keep doing, there are other petals waiting for you. But also when you meet someone who annoys you or upsets you or you have an emotional reaction to say, whoopee, whoopee, I've attracted someone who is helping me grow and not to put white light around them, forgive them, send them do just because they are a hologram. They do not exist. So the only reason they're in your life is for you to become whole and to know that you are loved. What a beautiful sentiment. Absolutely exquisite. And so inspiring, actually, too. Um, where can we find out more about what you do, Christine? I have a nice, simple <laughs> website, christinepage.com. And uh, please do go there. If questions, info at Christine Page. I also have a podcast. I have a Facebook page. But just what a pleasure to come and share time with you, Tatiana. It was absolutely not enough time, which means you have to promise me that you're going to come back and we're going to <laughs> dig into some of these areas a lot deeper because I feel like we've really just scratched the surface. But it was a wonderful introduction. I always have three little questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, and that's because London Heal is based on the idea of mind-body-spirit medicine. And I like to encapsulate those in the idea of health, happiness, and serenity. So health, what does that word actually, you've sort of alluded to it, but what does that word really mean for you? To be whole, to live fully my soul's intention, to be this multi-petal being, knowing I love every part of it, truly love every part. Wonderful, wonderful. And happiness, what does Christine do to get happy? <laughs> what makes you happy? <laughs> Speaking to people like you, I'm about oh, to <laughs> Talking and sharing and is really my joy. Um, communicating, as you can hear. But I also hope I communicate from the heart and also listening to people. People are, have such richness in them, such wisdom. And, and that brings me great happiness. Wonderful. Wonderful. And the last one, serenity. Um, obviously, you've talked about meditation. <laughs> it's something you practice and it's something you teach other people how to get to that place. But um, do you have any special tips or tricks or whatever for people to be able to get to that, what I call it, turning down the noise, which is actually being able to find a practice or do something on a daily basis where they can just get to a place of stillness and look in rather than out? Uh, I really do use the magnets on the soles of my feet, imagining there's a bigger magnet in Mother Earth. She pulls you in and you're not surrendering, you're just yearning to be at rest. And then imagining you have roots going into her and then letting the roots around you, which don't smother you but support you. And when I see myself rooted, when I root other people, my goodness, everything changes because I, I can work from a greater place of of, of peacefulness and serenity that I really can't change other people. The only person I can change is myself. Quite right. <laughs> but don't change a thing, Christine. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I know you have a crazy busy schedule and listeners, please highly encourage every single body out there to look at Christine's homepage. She has a lot of great courses and also some of those fabulous books. It's a, it's a journey into yourself that you won't regret. And, uh, and her tours are, well, I can say from personal experience, they are extraordinarily rewarding. And actually, on that note, I just want to finish up by saying, Christine, you remember there was that one guide that we saw on one of the sites? Yes. Um, I've described this person to so many people, but he was the most alive, energetic person and passionate that we had all seen. And I felt that that was like a gift to all of us just to show us this is how you are supposed to be in life, brimming with energy. It was a joy, wasn't it? It was a total joy. And I've heard from him and he said, we made his year. Oh, great. Then we have to go back. <laughs> so our passion met his passion. And that was such a rich experience. Wonderful. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll talk to you again very soon. Bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Well, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Christine is a force of nature in her own right. She's a a wonderfully powerful person and she is extraordinarily insightful and has a heart as big as gold. And uh, please check out her books and her website because I think she has a wealth of knowledge to share that will definitely further your knowledge and your health, happiness and serenity. And As always, please rate reviewers on iTunes. As you know, listening figures are absolutely podcast currency. And for us to be able to give you and bring you guests of these caliber that that have such an enormous uh, demand on their time and their schedule, um, we need to offer them an audience. So please help us grow this podcast. And actually, even more importantly than that, please make sure that this information gets out to those people that really, really need it. Also come and visit us over on our Facebook page and give us a like. That always helps too. And um, if you would like to have extended podcast notes instead of having to take notes yourself when you listen, then just come and join up and become a London Heal Insider over at londonheal.com. And that way, get onto our mailing list and you'll receive notification of the newest episode and the extended podcast notes will just drop gently into your mailbox every week. So that leaves me just to say, as always, that I wish you health, happiness, and serenity.